Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Right, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are going to be talking about one of my most anticipated movies of 2020, which also turned out to be one of my biggest disappointments of 2020. And this movie is called Run. It is from director Anish Chagante, who made 2018 Searching, which was one of my favorite movies of that year. And, you know, a lot of people seem to be loving this movie. I noticed that I'm definitely in the minority on not liking it very much. But uh, I, I think this movie is just, it's a very specific thing. And we're going to get into it in the conversation with Noah Gattel, who's a film critic and his first time on the show. And we have a great conversation about what works in this movie and what very much does not work in this movie. And, you know, if you love this movie, that's great. I'm very happy. I'm glad this is a, a success for Shigante because I definitely look forward to seeing what comes next from him. But at the same time, this movie just did not do it for me. But we still had a lot to talk about as far as puzzle pieces are concerned. So it's a great conversation coming up. Before we get into that, though, I do want to remind you, as always, make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever it is you listen to podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on Piecing It Together. So, with all that said, I think it's time to get into this conversation about Run, which, by the way... We're finally covering a November movie. How about that? Let's get into it. All right, so today joining me for what I'm sure is going to be a fun one, we have got Noah Gattel joining me. Noah, how's it going? It's great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to talking about this movie. It, it's one I had really been looking forward to, and it did not quite turn out the way I expected. Uh, but before we get into Run, uh, which I know we kind of share... Uh, a, a bit of a disappointment with. Why don't you tell people a little bit about yourself? Sure. So I have been a film critic for about a decade now, and I can be found uh, regularly at outlets like uh, Washington City Paper in D.C., where I uh, lived for some time, uh, The Economist, where they don't print bylines, so you won't be able to find my work. Uh, and uh, I'm on camera with the BBC quite a bit as well. And then as a freelancer, I just I pop up in, in random places all the time. Uh, but the best place to probably find me and my thoughts is um, on Twitter or on Letterboxd. So 
folks who like what they hear today and want to hear a little bit more about my perspective on film can um, find me there and I'll try to try to be entertaining for you. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, uh, yeah, so I, you and I had been talking about getting you on the show for a while, and we, we were talking about doing Mank, which we may still do. We'll see uh, once I get a chance to finally see it. But you had told me how much you just straight up did not like this movie, and I was still really looking forward to it. I hadn't gotten a chance to see it yet. And I was so surprised by how much I didn't like this movie <laughs> once I finally got to see it. Just to uh, you know, get it out of the way right up front, I mean, Anish Chaganti, his previous film, Searching, was one of my favorite movies of 2018. I, as I know a lot of people loved it as well. I'm certainly not alone. Uh, I was really looking forward to this. And it's not that it's uh, terrible, but it, it's that it's just so predictably cliche thriller i mean it, it is when this first came out and not to telegraph one of my puzzle pieces which is definitely going to be lifetime related uh, i was like oh it's going to be like those lifetime movies but better you know <laughs> and what i got is one of those lifetime movies this is exactly what this movie is well i totally agree i was disappointed too because i liked searching and you know searching had a a, a gimmick you know i mean it was mm -hmm. a movie that was told completely through computer and phone screens and that was really clever and I thought Chicante did great stuff with it and, and really made it a, a real movie and you know he expands the scope a little bit with this it mostly takes place in one house but not entirely um, mm -hmm. but you know I did feel that there was a certain emptiness to it without without that sort of gimmick to rely on it seemed like he hadn't built up the other storytelling elements that you need quite as much and you use the word cliche this movie contains my least favorite cliche in all of cinema, which is that thing when uh, a villain inexplicably keeps all of the news clips of all their crimes <laughs> together in one place for, for someone to discover and piece it all together. Uh, and we, she we, looks we, so shocked too when she when she sees that uh, the daughter found those. She's like, "Oh my god how how could those be there?" <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know. Okay, so the daughter can't walk, so I guess uh -huh. she has a little bit of an excuse for keeping them just laying around. Uh -huh. But just, I mean, there were so many clips in there that directly take you from point A to point B, like all of her crimes and how she she pulled them off there that. It, it literally made no sense. And I think, you know, we can accept some some sort of uh, some some of those cliches in movies if the, the foundation of the story is really strong. But in this case, it just wasn't. It was really shallow and really empty. And I think those sorts of cliches become more of a problem when that's the case. For sure. For sure. Well, I, I, I think we should get into some puzzle pieces. We'll get through like some of what else didn't work and then maybe some things that did work along the way and i know a lot of people really seem to love this movie so if you have any hate mail send it to noah um, he'll <laughs> he'll answer it uh but Noah, what do you have for your first uh puzzle piece well i don't think you can talk about this movie or frankly any of the other movies we're probably going to mention without talking about hitchcock because sure he invented this genre really the suspense genre and to me, the movie—we you know, could talk about a number of different Hitchcock movies, and maybe you'll you'll mention some others. I'm gonna I'm gonna put two together right off the top here, and those two are Shadow of a Doubt and Suspicion. And I okay. think those are two of my favorite Hitchcock movies because what I love about them is they they tackle this fear, this elemental fear that somebody who is in your family, somebody who is closest to you, is not who you thought they were. 
and could have the worst intentions in mind. Uh, and that is such an elemental, terrifying thing. And Hitchcock did it in a couple other movies as well. He does it in Dial M for Murder. Um, but Shadow mm -hmm. of a Doubt and Suspicion are different than Dial M for Murder because they are from the point of view of the person who is gradually starting to suspect this person that they love, that they trust completely uh, of, of murderous intent. And mm -hmm. nobody did it better than Hitchcock. I mean, he was, in addition to just having his finger on those things that make us so uncomfortable, I can't name, he was just an incredible craftsman. Those movies are so pleasurable and enjoyable to watch. And I, I just did not feel the same craft at play and run at all. There was a great idea, um, mm -hmm. but it wasn't, it wasn't conveyed particularly creatively or imaginative, as far as I could tell. Sure, yeah, and and absolutely, I think that the the influence is there, and I think there's there's a a desire to make something really interesting that's going to like thrill the audience with this movie. It's just it doesn't seem to have anything new to say or any reason to any of any of any of what's happening on screen. Uh, I, I really struggle to find a reason with this movie for any of it happening. It's just like, Oh, you know, what's cool. Stolen baby movies. Oh, you know, what's cool. Munchausen by proxy. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's like, let's just throw that stuff at the screen and see what sticks. Yeah, totally agree. I had, they had this idea, you know, about this character, the Sarah Paulson character. And uh, what if she wasn't what she said she was? And that's as far as the whole thing went, really. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll go with, uh, for my first puzzle piece, um, the, the one Hitchcock movie I was going to mention, I might as well just jump right in with yours there's Rear Window, um, which, of course, with the you know wheelchair-bound protagonist, which I, I will say, you know, you got to give give. Hollywood points in this case for actually casting, you know, someone who, who is disabled and that's great. Uh, and she does a, you know, a good job with what she's given here with the role of her first movie, but that's really kind of the only connection there is, is that part. Otherwise, like a lot of what you were just saying about Hitchcock is, you know, again, this is, this is ingrained in that, that tradition of thriller and mystery and everything that we associate with that. You know, what I love about Rear Window is the patience that Hitchcock has in pacing that movie. You know, there's mm -hmm. a good half hour, 45 minutes where nothing really has happened yet in that movie. And we're getting to know Jimmy Stewart's character and we're getting to know his girlfriend and we're getting to know the person who takes care of him. And I wish Run had a little more of that patience. Like this is, mm -hmm. I don't remember the runtime exactly, but it felt like a tight 85 or 90 minutes. And right. I, I wish we had gotten to know these characters a little more and gotten to know more about what their routine was and the bonds they actually had as mother and daughter before it started to unravel. And there was just none of that. They kind of just started the gears turning right away. And um, I think the movie would have been better served by you know, giving them something more uh, so that it, when it did unravel, we felt the sense of loss. Sure. Yeah, and, and also to give you more more time to get to know, especially uh, the main girl, Chloe, um, to, to get to know Chloe more, so that way, you know, you actually, you know, care about her outside of just, you know, oh, yeah, she's in a wheelchair and, and you know, that develops something, but, you know, who is this character at all other than that? It's like, that's kind of all they're giving you about her. I totally agree, and... You know, they definitely do deserve credit for casting somebody who is actually disabled 
I, I read that profile, uh, was it yesterday? I think it was on Letterboxd where the director said they had people audition who pretended to be disabled and then they would look at their like <laughs> Facebook profiles and see them walking, which is just horrendous. So thank goodness Terrible. They, they got that right. But it, it also doesn't seem like they went much beyond that, that this was just right. a movie about a disabled person. And yeah. I don't know that that's really serving the disabled community either. Along right, right. Well, let's go on to another piece. What do you got for your next one? So this is the closest corollary to run that I have found, and that is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, okay. which I actually saw earlier this month for the first time, coincidentally. And, hmm. uh, you know, you've got um, a family member who is confined to a wheelchair, taken care of by another family member who, you know, in Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, it's really clear early on that they don't have the, the best intentions. They're not interested in actually caring for her. But you have a lot of the same material that they're working with. Um, you have Several scenes where the person in the wheelchair has to sort of get around the house somehow without her chair. Uh, you have that sense of confinement. You have the uh, encroaching fear of like actual murderous intent where the person who seems kind of just mildly abusive actually becomes psychotic as the movie mm -hmm. goes on. Uh, and you have a twist ending too, where the reason the person is in the chair is not exactly what you thought it was. And I think Whatever Happened to Baby Jane definitely owes a lot to Hitchcock as well. But the thing that makes Baby Jane so great are the performances and the performers drawing on their personas. And I don't think I don't think either this movie really had that at all. You know, I have to admit with Sarah Paulson, I'm not familiar with her like TV work very much, which I know she's kind of known for to a lot of people. She's the queen right now. <laughs> right. I, I don't watch the Ryan Murphy stuff except for People versus OJ. So I, I don't mm -hmm. know like what her persona really is, but I have liked her in certain films. And it seems to me she has fallen into this sort of trap of this blank faced kind of acting, um, mm -hmm. which is a shame because I think she has a lot of personality in some of her earlier movies. I really love her in a movie like um, Blue Jay that with Mark Duplass this was actually one of my favorites of the year. And she was oh, so yeah. full of life in that movie, but she has fallen into this sort of stone-faced kind of acting that I really think doesn't serve her very well, particularly in this movie when there's not a lot on the page for her to work with. Yeah, this uh, reminded me a lot of her her character in Glass, the yes. Shyamalan movie. That very much similar acting style choices. But uh, back to the piece, though, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane was one that I was considering using. I, it wasn't one of my main pieces, but I was thinking about it. I hadn't seen it in... 20 years probably i saw it when i was much younger uh but definitely that th that came to mind uh great piece um i'm gonna go with another piece that is very very service level so much so that it's just about the title itself mm. um and that is the title run uh which of course there's no running in this movie uh, <laughs> of course we do have a disabled main character so she can't run but I don't think that the title is, you know, a play on that necessarily. I think that the title is a takeoff on the same idea as Jordan Peele's Get Out, which is just, it's something you yell at your screen during a thriller movie. And that that's the only reason for this title. I don't think that there's a another reason for it that really ties in any better than that. Just here's a thriller and that's what you're going to be thinking. And that's the title to the movie. And Get Out was already taken. Wow. So Get Out is my next piece. That's really smart. I like that take. Because, um, you know, honestly, like I hadn't thought about the title for a second uh, since mm -hmm. I watched it because it really doesn't you know, have anything to do with what's going on in the movie. You know, I, I guess, you know, 
part of the reason I think it's not as successful as Get Out as a title is like Get Out has so much more energy to it. Just the phrase yeah. Get Out has There's oomph to it. <laughs> totally. And Run just kind of sits there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so you, I guess I, I like that because you can see what they were going for and how it kind of didn't work. Yeah. And especially with this originally being a theatrical release, I think they expected people to get really like worked up in the thriller and the mystery of it all, you know? Uh, and, you know, now, of course, we get it on Hulu. It's a little bit of a different experience. I It's hard to imagine, you know, how it would have done exactly, although apparently it's doing really well for Hulu. So good for them. Yeah, I could see that probably because of Paulson's reputation in part uh, as, you know, TV, like this feels like something you would watch on TV. It feels like a TV yeah. show in a lot of ways. So I <laughs> guess sure. that makes some sense. Yeah. So what do you got for your next piece? Uh, so my next piece is from the Hitchcock era, but it's not a Hitchcock movie. And that is Gaslight. Okay. Uh, the uh, Ingrid Bergman movie where she is, uh, she marries somebody and he basically slowly drives her insane. This movie, of course, uh, got a larger reputation in the last few years as the word gaslight entered our political lexicon. And there were a few pieces written about it, but it really holds up as a movie. Uh, Her husband slowly drives her insane by making her think she has, uh, she's forgetting things, making her think that the lights are not turning down in the house when he's actually controlling them. And what I love about the movie and what Run doesn't have is the house is such a character in Gaslight. The director, it's, it's this big, ornate house filled with, you know, uh, like tchotchkes in the background. And, and there's such a great depth of field where the rooms feel big and the character feels small in the house. And the staging is just exquisite in the movie. And... For a movie that takes place almost entirely in the house, Run didn't really have any of that for me. The, char- the, the mm-hmm. character of the house almost felt non-existent. I mean, there were stairs that she needed to get down and she couldn't. And there was a window she needed to go out. So it was all set up very functionally. Mm-hmm. But, you know, man, for a movie that takes place so much in one location, you would hope that that location would make you feel something more than it yeah. did in Run. And Gaslight is the exact opposite example of that. Interesting. Uh, I, I've never actually seen Gaslight. It's definitely something I, I need to check out one of these days. But I'll just use that to jump right into my next piece, which is The Shining, um, mm-hmm. with with the parent just you know constantly getting crazier and crazier and crazier, and that 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 chance for that performance to just uh, be a balls to the wall crazy performance, but does have a memorable uh, location set. <laughs> so exactly <laughs> what, yeah, to say the least for sure. So I, I think that that kind of uh, uh, goes in nicely with what you were just talking about there about that one. So That's great. Uh, well, you, know, like, yeah. you couldn't find a more opposite kind of performance like that Nicholson gives in that movie and what Sarah Paulson is doing here, which is like nothing. And I'm not saying she has to go full Nicholson, but right. man, it would have been great if she just, gave you some more of an understanding of who that person was. Uh, and, yeah. you know, even psychotic people have personalities beyond their psychosis. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I'd say the, uh, I'd say the craziest moment of the movie, not to pick on it too much, but is uh, when she attempts to pass off the pill bottle as that's just the receipt on the side of the bottle. <laughs> which, that is just some, that's some, that's some writing right there. man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Kira Allen, her character, she'd been in the house for her whole life, but she was actually very smart, as they point out, like several times sure. in the movie. So it really doesn't make sense that she would fall for that. 
<laughs> so weird. So weird. All right. What do you got for your next piece? Well, if we're talking about performances, uh, this would be a good time to mention Mommy Dearest, uh, which, mm -hmm. you know, I was thinking about bad mom movies, not the bad moms movie, but sure. movies about bad mothers. And Mommy Dearest is probably the apex of that genre. Uh, this is a movie for people who don't know about uh, Joan Crawford uh, and the abuse she inflicted upon her, her child. It's based on the memoir written by her child. Uh, there was a lot of controversy about it. People thought she was exaggerating the, the abuse. Other people stood by her. But the performance given by Faye Dunaway playing Joan Crawford is absolutely bonkers. I mean, it is high camp. It is like Jack Nicholson in The Shining, uh, at least for the first half. I think the movie has some problems in the second half where it tries to make her more of a complicated person and less of a, a raving psychopath. Um, but. Yeah, that was what I really felt was missing from here. There were just no moments where Sarah Paulson went for it like that. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you're dealing with the subject of evil mothers, like, you know, high camp is that's a good place to go because it's such a difficult, sensitive, horrifying concept. And to underplay that the way Paulson did, it just doesn't make any dramatic sense. So I think Mommy Dearest for people who you know, liked this movie or maybe didn't love it, but thought it was okay doing some interesting things, that would be a good place for people to go next. Sure. Yeah, no, that, that's that's a great piece. And yeah, it, it would have been great to see her uh, go bigger in, in this performance. Absolutely. I think that that's kind of something that's kind of running through a lot of these pieces is just these other mother characters who went yeah. big and really went for it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I'll go with another one uh, to fit that that uh, theme. And of course, this was kind of uh, something that right from the first trailer, I think we kind of noticed is that the kind of combination of Love You to Death, the lifetime version of the Gypsy Rose story and the act, the Hulu series version of that, uh, which are both very much present, even though we also get a stolen baby uh, added um, <laughs> added elements of the story. But I think uh, Love You to Death especially is really one of the better Lifetime movies, I would say. <laughs> Marsha Gay Harden does kind of go for it in the way that we would hope that Sarah Paulson did in this, and just kind of doesn't. Uh, it still falls victim to a lot of the same you know trappings of that kind of made-for-TV thriller, but it's fun, though. And I guess... I guess that's what people are finding fun about this is that it just is, you know, just fun, pulpy, you know, just goofy thriller. But I guess for some people lives up to that. Yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. Like it does fulfill the modest expectations that it yeah. sets for itself. Like, you know, you get from point A to point Z. There are a couple twists along the way, which I don't know if they're predictable, but they certainly didn't feel surprising to me when they happened. Sure. But, it, it, you know, it does exactly what it sets out to do and literally nothing more. You know, for us, that isn't enough, but I could see how it is for some people. Um, yeah. I want to ask you about this Lifetime movie, though, because I don't think I've ever seen a Lifetime movie in my life. You seem like a, a, a real maven of Lifetime movies. My wife <laughs> makes me watch a lot of them. So, <laughs> so is uh, Love You to Death, is this like, is this the apex of the genre as far as you're concerned? I mean, certainly. Uh, 
I, is it the apex of the trial? Uh, it was an enjoyable movie. Let's put it that way. It, it, it had its moments. I, I really enjoyed Marcia Gay Harden as the mom in it. And uh, she is she is uh, enjoyably nuts as as the mother of Gypsy Rose. I, I forget what her name is, uh, the, the real person. But yeah, she it's a, it's a fun performance. Let's put it that way, was if she, nothing else. Was she slumming in this movie or was this before she was like a big No, th- this is 2019, so... So yeah. a little bit after her, her yeah, as an actor. Yeah. Wow. Uh, is she the biggest star who's ever done one of these Lifetime movies, or do they do they get big big deal people? In them? They do get people once in a while, but I would say it's like kind of this level, you know. Uh, like lately, Vivica Fox has been in a lot of them. She's like kind of uh, this tw- 2020 has been the year of Vivica Fox uh, <laughs> on Lifetime. She was in like five of them this year. So. <laughs> they can yeah. crank these out pretty quickly, I guess. So. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you for that reference point. I really, uh, I was not familiar with Lifetime movies, but it sounds like Run would, would fit very neatly among them. It very much would. <laughs> so what do you got next? Um, misery. Sure. Now, misery was, uh, this is a like 1990 something, early 90s movie based on the Stephen King novel about an author who gets in an accident and is you know, nursed back to health originally by his biggest fan. And then she ends up uh, hobbling him to keep him there writing the masterpiece that she wants from him. And, you know, ob- there's the obvious connection, which is that she is preventing him from leaving the house, keeping him infirm. But, you know, I watched a few clips from Misery just to prepare for this today. And, you know, people rightly remember uh, Kathy Bates' performance in it. And, you know, I don't want to keep hitting the same nail over and over again, but. Her performance is so specific and so unique and mm-hmm. so full of, of, of life. You know, the scene where she starts screaming and she talks about the cockadoodie car. Um, yeah. God, this movie needed, it needed more of that from, from any of the characters. Like, you know, we talk about Sarah Paulson needing more characterization from her, but we could have used more from, from Kiera Allen as well. Uh, yeah, you know, there's just none of that stuff that makes a movie feel alive and and makes it breathe and makes it feel real. Um, none of that specificity in this movie. It really is just dealing in in archetypes and in the situation, not in the people who are in that situation. And it really, uh, you can see the contrast so clearly when you just look at a few minutes of history. Yeah, absolutely. Misery was on my list as well, and I think a uh, a better version of following in that footsteps would be Castle Rock season two with Lizzie Kaplan continuing that character, um, which is I, I I don't know if that's a spoiler still. Sorry, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but um, yeah, it, it following right along in that those footsteps uh, of the Kathy Bates character is is done so much better in that show and is. You know, it's the the crazy woman keeping someone against their will, and you know, doing it in an exciting way. You know, and it, yeah. and it's fun to watch how crazy she can get. Absolutely, so, yeah. absolutely, and I think Sarah Paulson has that in her, but for some reason, that's just not the that's not the route they took here. Absolutely. Well, 
I, you know, I might as well jump to this one because we were just talking about Lifetime. So why don't I just get this out of the way? Uh, I mentioned that there's these Lifetime uh, Munchausen by proxy movies like uh, Love You to Death. But there's also a ton of Lifetime stolen babies movies where it it ends up the big twist, the big reveal is that the baby's been stolen. Uh, I only wrote down two, but I'm telling you I've seen at least three this year alone. Uh, But I wrote down Abducted, the Carolina White Story, and Stolen by My Mother. It's exactly what you think it is. It's it's these, these TV thrillers that... Uh, the the big reveal after you know typing on a computer and learning information or or learning information through uh, you know records at a at a, a place opening up file folders and stuff like that you really? end up finding out oh, oh my god oh my god I'm stolen you know mm-hmm. <laughs> that's that's the big reveal and it's done so many times and. I don't want to say it's done better necessarily on any of those Lifetime movies, but it's it's done, though. It's something that you see coming a mile away, is, is my point. Well, your expectations are probably different for a Lifetime movie than they are for something like Run, which, you know, is the second movie from a director whose first movie you really liked and has actors in it that you like exactly. and is supposed to play in a movie theater. Exactly. Are you are you logging these Lifetime movies on Letterboxd, by the way? Can we get your full reviews of them anywhere? I am. I am. I, I. They are all on my letterboxed at by David Rosen. Everybody, go check it out. Um, but uh, yes, I, I log them right along with all of the uh, other movies that I. Good. Do. I mean, they're like they're the B movies of our era, right? I mean, maybe they one sure day, are. forty years in the future, somebody's going to look back at these movies and see all the artistry that that maybe we never saw. Yep, and they are movies, so yeah. they count. <laughs> they count absolutely. So, uh, moving on, that'll be my last lifetime reference. Here. What, what do you, what do you, what do you got uh, next? Uh, well, I've done five, so I'm just going to give you a couple of quick hits that I okay. thought about when I was watching this movie. Um, we haven't mentioned M Night Shyamalan probably because you know when we talk about Hitchcock, we don't really have to talk about M Night Shyamalan. Sure. But uh, this made me think about The Visit a little bit, um, mm-hmm. another movie with uh, you know fake family members uh, who turned psychotic. It made me think about Night of the Hunter a little bit as well, the Charles Lawton movie from 1955 with Robert Mitchum, which I always think of as the first blank from hell movie. You know, hmm. when I was a kid in the early 90s, there were a ton of these like Hand That Rocks the Cradle and Unlawful Entry which I caught up again with recently and, and was quite a trip. Uh, you know, this is a really stable genre where somebody comes into a family and uh, only the kids or only one person in the family sees that this person is not who they say they are and, and is, is murderous. And I think Night of the Hunter uh, is the first movie that feels like a modern blank from hell movie. It's a, it's a stepfather from hell movie, essentially. And, you know, Run doesn't exactly follow that template because she's not a new person in the family. Uh, but, you know, it, I think it follows it to some degree in that she seems like a new person in the eyes of, of Chloe. Um, so Night of the Hunter is like the much, 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 much better example of what Run is doing. Right on. Yeah, that's another one. I, I'm pretty sure I saw it many, many years ago, but it's been been a long, long time. But I need to revisit it that. It holds up. It feels uh, really modern. It really holds up well. Yeah. And Charles Lawton, nice. of course, that's the only film he ever directed. I'm always fascinated by people who made like one great film and then never directed again. And that's oh, like yeah. that's the best example. Oh, interesting. That's cool. Um, 
to M. Night Shyamalan, absolutely uh, the visit. Also, uh, you know, The Sixth Sense did have a, you know, a section of it that was Munchausen by proxy. Mm-hmm. So there's 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 that as well. But overall, the whole thing feels like a uh, middle to late era M. Night Shyamalan movie, you know, yeah. after the ideas are kind of gone. I, I really hope uh, Shiganti has something better next time around. You know, I still, I'm still rooting for the guy because I love searching so much, but uh, this definitely feels like someone who obviously inspired by Hitchcock a lot, but doesn't really have a new great mystery idea to kind of sink his teeth into. Right. And so it definitely, I got a lot of M. Night vibes from this. Yeah, and I think that's a great point. And, you know, sophomore slumps are a thing. You know, we see it with mm-hmm. directors a lot. Sometimes they recover and, and sometimes they don't. And, you know, this might, in the scope of his career, this might not even be considered a slump because it's doing yeah. quite well. And, um, you know, people seem to like it, except for you and me. So, exactly. uh, <laughs> so you know, hopefully he will get a chance to, to move on and keep doing more interesting and uh yeah i'm still a believer in his talent despite this misfire absolutely and i'll do uh one last piece uh and that is the uh series sharp objects Mm -hmm. which again is another of these uh uh munchausen by proxy kind of stories and you know i've noticed that this has been compared to that i feel like that whole phenomena has been having a moment lately and like seems to be finding its way into a lot of pop culture and so i think that that is just you know this is just another one in that whole you know momentum of this type of story i guess i haven't seen sharp objects but i find it interesting that we are kind of hitting the the nail over and over again here in that this movie is really only doing one or two things. So our puzzle sure. pieces are a little repetitive, both of ours. Right. Because it's there's true. really not that much to go on here. There's not a lot of elements you can sort of pick out and spend some time pontificating on. It's doing one or two things and and that's it. And I think that's kind of our problem with the movie that, that we're elucidating here. I totally agree. And I almost wonder if that's part of the reason why. Like I almost wonder if the stolen baby thing is like a add-on like oh shit we don't have much going on here let's just make the baby stolen why not you know, uh, yeah, like, it, it's 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 a it's a layer so you know. but uh yeah i think you're absolutely right though it's like it's just um continuing on just one thing over and over is what this movie kind of is it's just it's just the one idea but um yeah you know what let's let's wrap this up i'll do the finished puzzle then we'll get into any closing thoughts we have on the movie uh, finished puzzle for Run includes Shadow of a Doubt, Suspicion, Rear Window, uh, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane, Get Out, Gaslight, The Shining, Mommy Dearest, Love You to Death, and The Act, Misery, a whole bunch of Lifetime movies, including <laughs> Abducted and Stolen by My Mother, uh, The Visit, uh, also The Sixth Sense, Night of the Hunter, and Sharp Objects. So... You know, I I think you just said it, though, as far as closing thoughts. I mean, the fact that this is just kind of a one idea movie is I think that's the main thing here. But did you have any other uh, closing thoughts? Anything we didn't quite get to? Not really. I would just say that I like all the people involved in this movie. Mm. Uh, I think they will all go on to do good things and in some cases have done good things in the past. Uh, This was just... um, a kind of a story that wasn't ready to be filmed yet. It needed more. And um, I look forward to what they all do next. Sure. I, I totally agree. And 
You know, I'll also say this is kind of maybe a little bit of a backhanded compliment, but the the whole roof scene with, you know, going across with water in the mouth and, and a, a, a heat gun on an extension cord to break, that whole thing just felt so dumb to me, but at the same time, so bonkers that I kind of loved it. So, I mean, points for that. No, that's, that's a really good point. Like, there's this vibe in the whole movie, like that we're just watching an exercise, right? So right. you can appreciate certain elements of it, but it it doesn't add up to anything meaningful. And that exactly. scene is perfect. Exactly. Oh man. Well, no, I think we uh, I think we know why we didn't like this movie too much. But uh, I always ask my guests uh, to recommend a movie you saw recently that you did like. Oh, sure. Uh, well, we'll go in a completely different direction. You know, the Criterion Channel uh, has been my home for most of this um, quarantine. Sure. And uh, I always go by what's leaving at the end of the month. And that's how I organize my viewing. And this month I've been watching a ton of pre-code Joan Blondell movies who uh, she was kind of unfamiliar to me before uh, this year, but I watched one last night called Dames, which is a Busby Berkeley uh, directed thing. And God, I love these Busby Berkeley movies. You know, they're, it's mm. like, it's like an acid flashback before acid was invented. They're just, it's psychedelic and kaleidoscopic. And it's great when they also have good characters and good stories. And Dames is one of those movies. Really funny, really exciting, and uh, beautiful to look at. That sounds great. I got to check that out. I've never seen it. Um, sounds amazing. Well, these criteria uh, before this podcast will come out, but I'm sure you can find it somewhere else. I have to dig that one up. Well, uh, Noah, thank you so much for doing this. Why don't you tell people again uh, where they can find you? I'm on Twitter at Noah Gattel. One word. I'm at Letterboxd on Noah Gattel. And um, I am Noah Gattel. There you go. That is, uh, that's a very good outro right there. I like that <laughs> a lot. <laughs> well, thanks again, Noah. Yeah, this was fun. Hey, Lady One. Yes, JC. Did you like that movie? Yeah, it was good, but you know, in the end, I really think they should have... Wait! Save it for the podcast. Oh yeah, our podcast, Screen Fix, where me, you, and a guest fix a movie. Available anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also find us on Twitter and Instagram, at ScreenFixPod. What a totally natural sounding promo. Check us out! <laughs> All right, so I hope you enjoyed that conversation about Run. Thanks to Noah Gattel for joining me on that one. It was a lot of fun talking about. By the way, a uh, quick shout-out to A Lifetime of Hallmark, a, another great podcast that I've actually been on a couple of times. I was just recently on the episode about Psycho Sister-in-Law. They cover a whole bunch of Lifetime and Hallmark movies. And uh, yeah, it's always fun joining those guys to talk about those ridiculous, ridiculous movies. Psycho Sister-in-Law being one. I guess I'm... Uh, it, it feels like I'm trying to establish myself as an expert here, which I'm very much not. I'm just forced to watch these damn movies. But uh, anyway, yeah, check those guys out. Great podcast. And I'm on their most recent episode. So uh, that does it for piecing it together for today. If you enjoy what we're doing here on the show, I would appreciate your reviews and feedback. You can, of course, review us over on Apple Podcasts or Podchaser. We especially appreciate five-star reviews. But, you know, tell us what you think of the show. Leave us some feedback. We love hearing about that. And, of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is you listen to podcasts. And you can 
join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces, where we continue the conversation about all these movies. You can follow us on social media at PiecingPod. And we also have a Patreon where we post bonus content as well as exclusive stuff from my music career as well as special stuff from awesome movie year the other movie podcast that i produce and a whole bunch more uh also advanced episodes of piecing it together on there as well so lots of great content all under one roof the produced by david rosen patreon so check that out and uh yeah i guess that does it for today I am going to close this thing out with a piece of music, like I always do. And I think for a big, over-the-top, drama, mystery, whatever you call this kind of movie run, uh, I think I'll close this thing out with a big, over-the-top, dramatic track from my latest album, David Rosen. This is actually the closing track on the album. It's called The Very Last Thing. And uh, it gets big, it gets dramatic, and I think it fits pretty well here. So this is the very last thing from my new album, which is self-titled and is available on iTunes, on Amazon, on Bandcamp, on all of the streaming services. So check that album out, and we'll be back with more Piecing It Together coming up real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.